Thanks for joining us again at the Canadian Breakpoint, a Canadian infectious diseases podcast by Canadian infectious diseases physicians. I'm Summer Stewart, here with Dr. Rapina Purewal, Pediatric Infectious Diseases Specialist from Saskatoon. In this episode, we welcome infectious diseases pediatrician, Dr. Jason Brophy, to review Dolutegravir Dispersible Tab. Dr. Purewal. All right. Welcome to another episode of our podcast at the Canadian Breakpoint. Today, we have a very special guest with us, Dr. Brophy, who is a pediatric infectious disease specialist and researcher at the Children's Hospital of Eastern Ontario and an associate professor of pediatrics at the University of Ottawa. His research interests are in pediatric and perinatal HIV and other congenital infections. He is the current chair of the Canadian Pediatric and Perinatal HIV and AIDS Research Group, CPARCH, and co-lead of the Clinical Care and Management Research Corps of the Canadian HIV Trials Network. He works part-time as a pediatric HIV clinical advisor with the Clinton Health Access Initiative, supporting the uptake of optimal pediatric HIV care in West Central Africa and Southeast Asia. So welcome, Dr. Brophy. Thanks. Great to be here. Perfect. So today we have a very exciting episode because we're talking about dolutegravir. And so for some of our listeners who manage adult HIV, they're probably quite familiar with dolutegravir and its mechanism of action, um, uses and indications. But for, we're very fortunate that there's been new formulary in pediatrics, so the dispersible tabs that um, are now available and you have some clinical experience um, and research experience with dolutegravir. So uh, it's it's really a pleasure to have you here today. Yeah, no, I agree. It's, a, it's nice to have some new drugs for kids uh, because for a long time we've been without. <laughs> we're the, that is we're the true. Poor, the, the poor cousin <laughs> to, uh, to the adult HIV crowd. So it, it's nice to have new modern drugs to offer our kids here in Canada. Yeah, no, very fair. Yeah. So I think in terms of um, what I would like to start with today is for a lot of our listeners. So we have listeners across the globe, um, definitely, you know, first like family physicians, we have um, pediatric uh, physicians, we have um, infectious disease physicians um, across the globe. And so it would be nice to kind of maybe not everybody is aware of dolutegravir. So can we just kind of introduce maybe what dolutegravir is and um, its common uses and mechanism of action? Sure. Happy to do that. <laughs> Thanks. So, so dolutegravir is in the integrase strand inhibitor family or INSTE family. Uh, and its mechanism of action is that it prevents CHIV enzyme integrase um, from integrating uh, the viral DNA into the host uh, CD4 cell DNA. Um, and so it's one of the newer families of drugs. So back in the old, old days, uh, we had the NRTIs first, like AZT and 3TC. Um, and we had NNRTIs, like nivirapine and efavirenz. And then the protease inhibitors came out and they really um, were kind of the linchpin that helped uh, move us ahead. Uh, and in 1996, uh, we learned that uh, using them in combination, like two NRTIs plus one and NRTI or PI protease inhibitor, uh, that was what we called highly active antiretroviral therapy or HART. 
Uh, and so for years we were we were working with those three families and and now we're up to five families that are commercially available and there's other other ones that are uh, coming out, which is really nice. Uh, but the integrase inhibitors or INSTI family um, really have kind of taken over in terms of mm-hmm. being the, the main ones that we're using nowadays uh, as their anchor drugs. So two NRTI drugs plus one uh, third drug and the third drug is increasingly becoming the well, something from the INSTI family. And so dolutegravir is one of those. There are five that we have available um, for use in Canada right now. Raltegravir, right. El- Elvitegravir, uh, Bictegravir, Cabotegravir, and dolutegravir. And then we have three of those that have pediatric formulations available. Right. Um, and so the kind of advantages of these drugs are that they tend to be really well tolerated um, in, in that they don't have the, the same nasty side effects that some of the earlier ones had, like uh, Favrin's caused a lot of neuropsychiatric stuff, like uh, nightmares or made people really groggy or sleepy or dizzy. Uh, and then the protease inhibitors, the older ones at least that we had, and the liquid ones that we use for kids, cause a lot of GI upset, diarrhea, vomiting, nausea. Um, especially for the little babies, like the, the main one that we always used, lopinavir, ritonavir. Um, uh, we had, we did taste tests of it when, when I was a trainee many yeah. years ago. And, <laughs> and I, I, I'll never forget that day. It was like, it was like taking a shot of kerosene and it really just stuck yeah, with you terrible. all day with like really bad reflux and burning. And so every time I heard a, a mom come in saying how hard it was to give this medicine, I was like, yeah, I know why. Right. And so, yeah, yeah, we were all fair. hoping, we we're all hoping for, for newer, better drugs. And so this family has kind of allowed that to happen, which is great. That's awesome. Yeah. So definitely, as you talked about, I mean, there's not too many options in pediatrics. So um, for dolutegravir specifically, um, you know, when we talk about pediatric meds in general, we always have weight cutoffs or, um, you know, age cutoffs that we can use them. So for this new formulation of dolutegravir, um, how young can we be giving that or adding it to the regimen? Yeah, there've been a couple, a few really really good studies that have helped inform how we use dolutegravir. So the adult tablet, which is actually pretty tiny, uh, mm-hmm. it's about the size of an ibuprofen tablet, um, yeah. uh, the 50 milligram one. We know from the Odyssey trial that we can actually use that down to 20 kilos of weight, uh, regardless of the age. Uh, and then with the pediatric uh, dispersible tablet, which strawberry flavored and you drop it in water and it dissolves pretty quickly and then the kid can just drink it um that one is approved for age one month and up uh and three kilos and up and so that makes makes pretty much all the kids that we would want to be treating uh eligible for it and then there's actually neonatal studies uh that are planned or starting up now so hopefully we'll even be able to be using it in younger age groups. But the metabolism is tricky in the first month, especially in the first week. And so they right. tend to clear things uh, more slowly. And so we'll, we'll learn more about that as, as the studies progress. But yeah, the, 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 the dispersible tablets making 
lives a lot easier here. Unfortunately, the NRTIs still don't come in, in similar dispersible formulations in uh, North America. Um, right. But it, it's interesting, like in my in my internet, my global work with the chai. Um, mm-hmm. So I, 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 the chai kind of made its name in the HIV game by uh, working with generic companies to produce generic versions of the drugs that we have uh, in the West. Uh, and they actually have had dispersable uh, formulations of the NRTIs, like a and lamivudine together or sodavidine mm. and lamivudine together. Um, uh, and then uh, the other tablet, the other ones like the NRT and NRTIs, um, we've had them for years. And so I, uh, and the pediatric dalutegravir came out a couple of years ago as a generic product just after it was uh, released here in North America. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, when I go and do my teaching in, in these other countries, I tell them, you're actually luckier than, than me in that I don't have access to all of these same right. generic formulations of dispersible yeah. tablets, um, which makes them feel feel a bit better that <laughs> they have like some some advantages over us here. Right. Yeah. No, I mean, it makes a huge difference. And I guess like clinically um, in like my practice, we've like, there's definitely been indications, for instance, you mentioned with some of the other medications that we commonly use, they don't taste very good. So the compliance gets poor and poorer, especially as the children are getting older and they're actually you know, involved in the process of taking their meds and they now are starting to decline them because of taste or a lot of reflux. And so I think having a medication like dolutegravir where it's just peripheral and ideally only in like a very small amount of like mLs of fluid, right? Like clear fluid that you can disperse it in. And so uh, it's not like a huge volume that they're taking. Um, yeah. So that's probably where I've used it um, clinically. Um, so are there an- other indications? Like, is it something like you would, um, are the studies showing that it's something that we would be starting off as like a primary regimen, um, as opposed to like second line, kind of what I was saying. Yeah. So the, the, uh, the WHO actually recommended it as their first line preferred therapy, even before there was a pediatric formulation available, just because the, there was a big move globally, uh, to kind of embrace integrase inhibitors and the only one that was really uh, coming to market was, was dolutegravir. So even before the pediatric formulation was available, it was already recommended. Um, but in North America, we've had like raltegravir um, in, in pediatric formulations for a while. And right. then the the other ones like um, uh, elvitegravir, which is in a fixed dose combination tablet called mm-hmm. Gemboya. Um, and uh, Triamec, which is the dolutegravir, bacavir, lamivudine, uh, comes in a uh, fixed dose combination. So those were uh, approved for kids 25 kilos and older. Um, yeah. But these these new dispersable ones for the younger kids are, are the ones that are newer. And but they've been they've really as soon as the formulations were available and the studies showing that they were effective either as um, new therapy or switch therapy. Um, then they became the, the first line uh, regimens of choice. And right. so, yeah, that, this is what we should be starting people on. And I guess the other benefit uh, that um, is worth mentioning is dolutegravir um, is once a day, whereas raltegravir, which we've had for a while, is twice a day um, right. as a lower barrier to resistance. So 
if kids are missing any or their drug levels are low uh, for, for missing doses or vomiting doses, then uh, there's a lower, uh, there's a higher chance of getting resistance because there's a lower genetic barrier to developing resistance with the first generation integrase inhibitor valtecavir. So, so valtecavir is well tolerated, easy to, easy to take once a day. Um, and uh, we know it's really potent that this family suppresses HIV usually within a month in adults. Right. Um, mm -hmm. Kids often start with a higher viral load uh, than adults, especially yeah. in the younger kids. And so it can take a bit longer than that, uh, but generally it works pretty fast. And so, yeah. so yeah, there's not a lot of downsides except for you know, uh, occasional drug interactions to think about. Right. Yeah. So one of those would be like probably a contraindication. So as you mentioned, there aren't any drawbacks. Are there any main contraindications that we're, um, you know, sometimes we worry about, is there any maybe like renal issues or liver um, issues if, if a child is having those and has obviously like a comorbidity? Um, is there a strong contraindication to when not to use dolutegravir? Yeah, so the, it, it is contraindicated in uh, kids or adults with severe renal, renal impairment or severe liver impairment. Um, but in mild to moderate, it's okay to use uh, for yeah. both. Uh, and then in terms of drug-drug interactions, uh, we know it, it's, it's metabolized mostly by the uh, cytochrome P450-3A, right. uh, as, as, long, as well as the, uh, the UGT1A1. Uh, and so uh, those are the ones that kind of get in induced by things like uh, rifampin and uh, the, some of the anti-epileptic drugs like phenytoin or phenobarb. So um, because rifampin is such a big issue or big drug to treat um, TB globally, uh, mm -hmm. there's been a fair amount of work looking at how we can overcome that uh, interaction. So we know if you double the dose of dolutegravir, like give it twice a day instead of okay. once a day, uh, then that should overcome that drug-drug interaction. But for other ones like um like phenytoin or phenobarb, it, it, it's, those are too potent in terms of inducing. So it's recommended not to use those with dolutegravir. Okay. But um, there are other anti-epileptic choices. And so mm -hmm. that would be an option to move them to a different anti-epileptic if you wanted to use an integrase inhibitor or vice yeah. versa, if you, if you wanted to use those anti-epileptics and pick a different uh, antiretroviral. Yeah, that's fair. Thank you. Yeah, that, I think these are important things because we, you know, we're commonly seeing patients, especially the, you know, some of the younger patients, and then over time, if they're, let's say, on a regimen, and then they're developing other conditions, then we should be probably well aware of those. So, so if I have a patient on dolutegravir, I mean, a lot of the integrase inhibitors, not too much monitoring, they have to do uh, regularly, whereas like some of our other drugs, there's like neutropenia risks, um, they definitely um, have a lot of bone marrow suppression. Um, are there any routine labs that a child, like, I mean, outside of our normal every three months that we would be following them? Is there anything specific to dolutegravir that we would be need to be monitoring? Yeah, so the integrase inhibitors generally can cause myositis. So we're okay. recommended to monitor CK. Um, and then they can rarely cause some, like, biochemical hepatitis and so monitoring their liver enzymes as well um in my experience i really haven't seen either of those things um, yeah. 
the other the other main side effects that they talk about with uh, integrase inhibitors generally and dolutegravir in particular um, are included, I should say, is um, insomnia, which um, I'd say the, the very first patient I ever treated with dolutegravir <laughs> had wicked insomnia. He um, mm. like he came back and and uh, um, was saying he's like not able to sleep at night and he was falling asleep on the bus on the way home from school. Oh no. Poor guy. But uh, he really didn't like his twice a day regimen before that. And so I said, yeah. well, it's supposed to resolve within a month or two. So if you want to stick it out. And so right. he stuck it out and it completely resolved within two months. And so, yeah. uh, so that was a really good learning point for me to just see that, oh yeah, these like uh, uncommon side effects reported in trials can actually happen in, in people. And right. funny, uh, funnily enough, he's like the only patient I've ever had <laughs> get that side effect first one. <laughs> um, so I usually, I usually warn people that it, it definitely can happen, but if you stick it out, it should go away. Like, like most side effects with uh, antiretrovirals. Right. Um, yeah. Then GI stuff can happen. Headache can happen. Um, yeah. They say that if your drug levels are really high, um, uh, that it can cause neuropsychiatric side effects. Um, like if you had depression, it can worsen it or stuff like mm -hmm. that. But again, I, my experience has been with pediatrics. Uh, all the side effects that you see in adults are much less common in children. They, that is true. I usually say I think kids are just tougher than, than adults or maybe <laughs> we as adults tend to complain a bit more <laughs> but that's uh, fair <laughs> but but yeah I, 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 I usually find that it's a really uh, well tolerated well drug tolerated. yeah no that's great so in terms of um, I guess if we're starting to use it more um, in our clinical practice um, what are some of like the cost or their cost to the patient um, in terms of the healthcare system, just kind of looking at um, from a healthcare standpoint too, is this something that's more affordable than other drugs? Um, and is the access quite easy? So like if a physician would want to start it, um, how do they go about ordering that in Canada or the U S yeah. So Canada, our, our health system needs to be a bit better unified. <laughs> we have like, it's like we have 13 different countries and 13 Definitely. different systems for <laughs> how we do healthcare and fund it and provide yeah. it. Uh, but generally in most, in most provinces, um, ARVs are covered by provincial programs. That's um, correct. And yeah. then uh, the, the main, uh, the main people I find who have difficulty with paying for ARVs are the ones who have partial insurance. So it's kind of like yeah. the, the folks, the folks in the like lower middle class who have, have jobs and have private insurance, but it's not a hundred percent. And so all the ARVs are still pretty expensive, like running in between like $1,500, $2,000 a month. Um, right. So if you, if you only have 80% coverage, like 20% of that is still a fair amount of money. Um, Definitely. And so, so the nice thing is that um, most of the, the big antiretroviral manufacturers um, do have support programs um, mm -hmm. And so if people are, say, new to Canada and don't have their their healthcare, um, like their OHIP or the provincial coverage set up, uh, or don't have their um, their private insurance or their uh, other forms of insurance set up, then they'll usually pay for, for the medications for up to six months. And right. then uh, VEV that makes um, pediatric dolutegravir has a, a program that will provide partial coverage as well if people have 
uh, coverage, but not 100% coverage through their insurance. So right. I always tell people that like no no kid and really no adult in Canada should go without ARVs. Um, yeah. We have lots of options and we have good support programs in place. So that's, that's ideal. Um, yeah. In 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 the global setting, though, it, it's very interesting to to work on both sides of the uh, of the globe, um, yeah. HIV, <laughs> because uh, we know that, like I said, most ARV combinations for adults uh, cost somewhere between fifteen hundred to thousand dollars a month, so it's twenty four thousand right. a year about. Um, mm-hmm. And the same medications, for the most part, uh, when they're produced generically significantly cheaper and so adult uh the adult uh treatment of choice like tld it's not berlimidine dolutegravir which comes as a single pill um mm-hmm. the the price for that uh has been brought down to about 50 to 60 dollars per patient per year <laughs> so that's pretty, significant, pretty significant yeah. reduction right <laughs> yes um, and then for kids the pediatric dolutegravir tablet uh, is a fraction of the cost of the previous um, recommended regimen, which is lopinavir, ritonavir tablets. Those mm-hmm. costs, I believe, around somewhere around 200 to 300 per patient per year. Uh, depends on the kid and how many tablets they're taking. Uh, yeah. But the pediatric dolutegravir is a fraction of that. So really, um, part of why uh, the WHO moved to recommend it uh, was not only the fact that like there's increasing NNRTI resistance to fabrins and the varipine because it's pretty low uh, barrier yeah. to resistance. Yeah, yeah. You only need one yeah. mutation to become resistant to those, whereas with dolutegravir, it's a lot higher bar- uh, barrier to resistance. And so they were wanting right. to move away from NNRTI-based uh, first-line treatment, um, especially in countries that have, had reached like the 10% uh, resistance kind of threshold. Um, right. at baseline to NNRTIs. Uh, and so there was that, there was the cost part coming down, there was the side effects uh, profile. We knew that people on efavirenz, which is the, the main drug used before, had a higher rate of neuropsychiatric side effects, depression, right. high, higher risk of suicide, uh, higher risk of people going off medications over time. And so really mm-hmm. the, the kind of coalesced around getting behind this new drug and regimen and so that extended down to kids too which is great yeah especially really they were they're stuck on the on the old kalitra or lopinavir which which yeah. you can't complain right like it's a good antiretroviral it, it treats it hiv well uh, yeah. and it saves a lot of people's lives and we can't right we can't like uh, be too down on these old drugs they got us to where we are today and saved a lot of our patients lives uh, yeah definitely yeah. long-term usage and having people be able to stay on them in the long term. Yeah. It's better to have drugs that are better tolerated. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And it's nice because, you know, most of these kids then can remain on that once they get into their tablet forms and it's a really easy switch over. Like they're not, it's a, a whole new drug for them, um, which is really nice because I think, you know, especially us who are managing pediatric patients and you, they grow with you. Um, you definitely, you know, yeah. transitioning them to that um, adult care even, or prior at ad, even the adolescent age group, you always want to make it as streamlined as possible. So if it's something that's familiar to them already, then they may feel better. Whereas like coming off of some of the older drugs um, and, you know, switching to a drug that they've never heard of, they sometimes are a little bit nervous too. So 
I've definitely seen yeah, that. Sure. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and, and then the great thing that, that is happening is that um, these companies are really getting on board with being more sensitive to kids' needs. Uh, right. And so we have the dispersible diatribular single tablet, uh, but now they've come out with a uh, three-in-one, uh, I call it baby triamec, uh, which is like a bacterialimividine <laughs> and diatribular right. all in one dispersible tablet. Uh, which oh, okay. can be used down to younger kids. Uh, and that generic version is also coming out in uh, or planned to be coming out for uh, low middle income countries. So that's my next job to get countries to move over to that, which will make life even easier instead of like two separate uh, medications that need right. to be dispensed down to just one single uh, tablet regimen or single dispersible tablet regimen, which we'll yeah. have here in here in North America, as well as as well as in low middle income countries, where the majority of kids with HIV are living. Yeah, wow, that'll be really fantastic. I mean, one of the most difficult parts about treating HIV is you know make insurance ensuring compliance, right? Because if they're not on their meds, then those are when the complications start, and and then their viral load is not suppressed. And so I think that's probably one of the. So if we can make the patient's life easier by not having to take so many meds. I think uh, we can probably achieve undetectable viral loads too. Um, so yeah, so that'll be, that's great. Nice to hear. So when we, when we first got in touch about Dolutegravir um, and we were talking about, um, you know, you coming on the podcast, you mentioned your awesome work with the clinic, uh, the Clinton health initiative. So I, I guess I wanted to touch base with you about, some of the work that you're doing out there. And if, if you wanted to highlight for some of, I know some of the audience members who are interested in global health for sure um, would find this a, a very, very intriguing uh, conversation for sure. <laughs> yeah. So when I was back in my training days, I was like, when I grow up, I want to be, I want to do global health and, and do global HIV work. Uh, yeah. And it was a bit of a, a, a rough slog to, figure out how to do that but I'm, I'm, I'm very lucky that I, I get to mix my my job here in Canada looking after uh, kids at an academic uh, pediatric hospital and then also work part-time abroad and so uh, with yeah. Chai Clinton, Clinton Health Access Initiative um, it used to be the Clinton Foundation but then they started doing a lot of different things including environmental work and uh, right. uh, pol political advocacy so they carved off all the health stuff and put it into this CHI or Clinton Health Access Initiative. Um, and so they work, they made their name on HIV and getting generic products for, for uh, HIV care and treatment. Um, but now they do a lot of other stuff, TP, uh, cryptococcal meningitis, oh, okay. hepatitis C, yeah. uh, maternal newborn child health, Right. Lots of other stuff. COVID now. <laughs> um, right. And so who, who's not doing COVID? Um, <laughs> but, but, my, but my stuff, my stuff mostly is still predominantly focused on HIV and then like mm -hmm. advanced HIV disease like TB and other uh, opportunistic infections. So uh, what I do is, is kind of, we have products like this that we're trying to get countries to take up. Uh, right. To moder modernize their their uh, their approaches, uh, and so we work directly with ministries of health uh, across Sub-Saharan Africa and Southeast Asia, and and 
Southern Asia, India, parts of the Caribbean and South America as well. Okay. So my, yeah. my work is working directly with ministries of health, um, kind of going through with them, what are the WHO guidance uh, recommendations? How can they uh, make changes to their guidance in accordance with, with WHO if it fits, yeah. right? Like it, it really right. needs to be uh, tailored to their needs and what they're right. ready to do. Um, and then making, uh, making, uh, ordering these products uh, more available, negotiating uh, pricing agreements to get the, the best use for money possible. Okay. So it's been great that people think I go and, and work in hospitals abroad, but I don't really do that. I, I go yeah. and do workshops with clinicians, talk just about all the stuff I've talked about with you, uh, yeah. but kind of tra- translate it into what is important for them. And tell them how to use these drugs and how you would monitor them, what to, yeah. uh, we, we make um, a knowledge translation uh, and educational materials, both for the clinicians as well as the patients and, and their families. And so okay. really try to make life easier for them to, to be able to do their job well. So it's yeah. a lot of fun. I get to yeah. see a lot of the world and know that um, like even uh, like this pediatric dietary product only came out um uh, uh, the, the first countries had access to it back in the s- second half of last year. Right. And now the majority of countries uh, with high HIV burden have transitioned or in the, or are in the process of transitioning their patients over to pediatric dalutegravir. Um, mm-hmm. And um, some countries are up to like over 90% of kids on this product within oh, wow. a year of it coming out. So it's really, okay. really nice. Yeah, it's very, yeah. And it's probably nice to see that comparison and and between different countries. And then you can kind of bring that experience even back to North America, but not only that, but to like their neighboring countries too, right? Because I think one thing with using newer drugs and newer medications is just people want experience, right? And and it's nice to, you know, have, oh yes, like this was used in this case and and we we saw we saw really good, we achieved really good undetectable viral loads, that type of thing, or this is an indication. And so I think just kind of having that comfort in a way um, that it's used <laughs> and it's frequently used kind of helps um, in the HIV world. So would you say like that's kind of what your experience has been? For sure, for sure. Uh, when I go to when I go to countries and have workshops with clinicians, they usually bring like their one or two hard cases and want want to yeah. get our advice. Um, and being able to say you've used this product and, and this is your experience with it, uh, or, and you had cases with wrinkles X Y Z, they really right. appreciate hearing hearing those experiences uh, and yeah. knowing that knowing that they're not alone <laughs> and knowing that yeah. they have access to what are really considered the the treatments of choice and that their right. patients are not are not behind or. or like yeah. underprivileged, like they like they definitely used to be. Um, but w- one of the things that we we uh, have tried with pediatric dietary rollout is to incorporate some operational research. And so okay. uh, we we negotiated uh, for six countries uh, across Africa to have what we called um, a catalytic procurement of drugs, where so they got an early shipment of uh, this drug to roll it out, gain experience in their countries. 
uh, mm-hmm. uh, to be able to kind of inform how they would roll it out more broadly. And in three of those countries, uh, Uganda, uh, Nigeria, and Benin, uh, mm-hmm. we incorporated a research component to that where we interviewed yeah. uh, the families and the clinicians, uh, and if they're old enough, the kids, to ask them, like, compared to your old uh, regimen, uh, how does this new one compare? Uh, did you to the parents did you see any side effects to the clinicians did you see any side effects right. and then be, and then just having really overall very very positive results and being able to share that with with people within those countries but also yeah. across the regions because what I, one thing I noticed in when I used to, when I was working in Vietnam in particular um, some years ago with Chai uh, and then working across uh, West Africa um, mm-hmm. is they really feel like their their population is distinct and, and they want to know that the product will work in their country with their country's children. Right. So I always think is like, well, children are children. We're not so genetically distinct from each other, but they really uh, sometimes become fixated on that. And so being able to say, no, this, this was research done in your region or done in your country. Uh, yeah. And we show that it was really well tolerated and, and had X, Y, Z results. Then they really appreciate that. And it really uh, facilitates the acceptability and uptake. Um, yeah. And then sometimes you learn things that maybe you weren't expecting. One of the things that really comes up frequently with Dalyutegavir is mm-hmm. there's been some adult research showing weight gain as a potential longer term right. complication uh, with integrase inhibitors generally, but Dalyutegavir uh, because it's been like the most uh, rapidly uh, used one in, used, in yeah. low middle income countries. Uh, and so people are concerned about that because um, they don't. Like they don't want to have the problems <laughs> in the West. They don't want it, obesity epidemics. In their right. Um, yeah. Uh, and so having some work around that with this pediatric uh, operational research has been helpful too to show that uh, yeah, we're definitely. monitoring we're monitoring for this and uh, generally it doesn't seem. Uh, like a big deal children are supposed to gain weight because <laughs> that's that is that's true. their job yeah. to grow <laughs> <laughs> yeah and so those are yeah. the things that really are have been helpful to be able to share across countries and, and even yeah. coming back here to canada because uh, uh, mm-hmm. a lot of our patients our hiv patients in canada um in the pediatric sphere at least are migrants from other countries that is uh, true and so yeah. being able to say no oh, i'm actually doing the, the same work and uh, providing the same advice to people in, in sub-Saharan Africa or Southeast Asia as, right. as what you're you're getting here in Canada. That, that's also in reverse uh, reassuring. Yeah, no, that's fair. Yeah. And so are there currently, so that's one of the operational trials out there. Are there currently trials ongoing in North America with Dolutegravir in this dispersible tab? that we could like yeah. enter patients into or or anything that you're aware of in, in that regard? I don't think there's anything going on new that the, there was an impact trial looking at dolutegra- the pediatric dolutegravir um, mm-hmm. that was done that, that led to its licensure. Um, and then they're following kids out longer term, but it's interesting Like those studies were quite small uh, yeah. compared to like yeah. the volumes who are starting it globally. Um, right. and, and as I mentioned, there is a, a neonatal uh, study that is, right. I believe it, uh, I believe it's just started. It's okay. in North America and multiple international sites. 
but yeah, in terms of enrolling patients, not so much. Um, but uh, in in our pediatric studies in Canada, uh, we have been kind of looking at things like weight gain with integrase inhibitors over mm-hmm. time, uh, and also looking at the experience of integrase inhibitors in pregnancy, like if moms are on on them in pregnancy. There's a big right. scare uh, that a lot yeah. of people in HIV probably remember uh, yeah. that uh, when they first started using it in Botswana, there was some concern about maybe an increased risk of neural tube defects or spina right. bifida. Yeah. Um, which I think was just uh, one of those uh, like 95% confidence interval thing. So 5% yeah. of the time things will happen by chance. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, and no, so they, they found yeah. this slight increased risk but then yeah. over time, that increased risk seemed to go away. And it was just that they had a, a number of cases up front. Uh, and yeah. that, that risk certainly doesn't seem to be uh, real at this point. Yeah, well, that's time. fair. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it makes it better for our kind of adult or, you know, adolescent use too, because some things you can't really predict and then you don't want to, you know, uh, and then having it like undetectable HIV viral load, we know has the better, has a better outcome for those neonates too. So it's almost like, is this risk versus benefit? Right. So yeah, no, that's fair. So in terms of, yeah, I think like lately in my practice, I mean, I think we're slowly becoming more and more comfortable with this dispersible tab and um, it's, I mean, it's always nice to have newer formulations. So do you see, do you foresee any like changes to this formulation or do we think that um, currently what's out there, um, will remain and um, are there like you talked about having a combo tab right and and that coming out so um, I guess is there anything else that you foresee with any changes with this dolutegravir dispersible tab in the near future yeah so the the abacavir lamivudine dolutegravir three-in-one dispersible tablet is available in the U.S. Okay. just in the, in the last six months forgetting exactly when it was licensed, but uh, it's, yeah. it's recently out. Uh, and so hopefully we'll have access to that here in Canada too. Um, yeah. And that uh, was only licensed, I think, for 14 kilos uh, and above. Okay. Um, yeah. uh, and then the, there's work going on looking at the younger uh, or um, smaller kids. Uh, mm-hmm. But hopefully that that will be uh, available and and. Uh, and we'll be able to use those here in Canada. Uh, I think the next big thing is the injectables. Um, and yes, so the, sure. the integrase yeah. inhibitor, uh, uh, cabotegravir is available yeah. for adults and adolescents um, as an injection, but there's interest in uh, using it for kids. And then there's even interesting work looking at uh, things like patch delivery. So just like the, there's oh, the okay. contraceptive patch that yeah. you just put on your skin. Uh, that there'll be a, a patch version of, of the these injectable ARVs. Oh wow! Uh, so those yeah. are those are still like far off in the future, I think. Yes. Uh, overall, sure. but uh, but yeah. I don't know. It, when patients come to you, they they want to they want to know what's coming. They want to know uh, what they can have hope about. And like yeah. you said, most people are like, "This works for me. I'm happy with it. We don't yeah. need to go." Uh, messing with the formula yeah. <laughs> but, but, but other people really struggle with taking a pill every day even just like one pill a day uh, yeah. we, can, we can talk about how like 10 years ago people were on like a handful of pills or yeah, multiple exactly. pills twice a day and and now we're down to one pill a day and it seems yeah. like that's that's a lot better but 
if you're the person having to take the one pill a day, sometimes it's still pretty hard. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I always tell my patients, like, I can't even sometimes take vitamins in a day. So, you know, I commend them for, you know, sticking to their regimen and taking their pills. And, and it's a difficult task. Like if you think about the pediatric patients that we see, they go through so many changes in their life, you know, you're uh, even going like through your teenage years, um, having to do all of this. So I think whatever we can make, you know, anything that you can make that's easier for them, I think always improves compliance, especially in that age group. So, yeah, but definitely. (laughs) And then I I find like with adherence issues in, in teenagers, like sometimes it's about difficulty with like remembering or having to take a bunch of pills and feeling like you're having side effects. Um, But a good chunk of people just don't like being reminded of HIV. And taking that, that pill every day is, yeah. is like like a reminder that you have this problem. Right. And so I think for some people, like the injectables once a month, or, like there's even orals that'll that'll be available in the not distant future um, mm-hmm. that can be taken weekly or monthly or even less uh, yeah. frequently. Uh, like I think being able to just put HIV kind of on the shelf and not think about it. Um, or put yeah. it in the back of your mind and think about it, it's going to yeah. be helpful for some people. Yeah, no, I agree. Yeah, definitely. So that was, I mean, so much information, definitely bringing into like my clinical practice. So in terms of some take-home points for some of our listeners um, who, you know, may be seeing HIV patients who are on older regimens or struggling to, you know, ensure compliance, what are some take-home points for them for dolutegravir that you would kind of highlight today? Uh, I mean, I, I think I would start by saying this is like probably the one of two or three main drugs that we, that we use in pediatrics and or in adults and definitely in pediatrics yeah, uh, nowadays. Sure. It's, the, it's one of the first line uh, recommended products. And if your patients are on older products, it's very reasonable to offer this as a switch. Yeah. Um, uh, I think in the old days, we used to say, oh, we'll save the save this for later, just in case. Uh, right. <laughs> if, if, your, if your current ones don't work but uh, or have issues, but we know that having people on the best drugs uh, from the start is going to allow them to stay on those best drugs for longer. Uh, right. So don't be afraid to try something new when, when we know that it's a, a good drug. It's very well tolerated. Yeah. Uh, of, of anything, I think insomnia for the first month is the main, uh, the main thing to warn about, but only one in 10 patient, adult patients will get that. Um, right. and, and so even less common in kids. Um, yeah. And very few drug-drug interactions to worry about. So yeah, um, so yeah, hard hard to find a lot of problems with this medication, um, and uh, yeah, I think uh, it's it's really helped a lot of people achieve undetectable, which is the uh, which is right. our, our our goal in addition to a good quality of life. Yeah, no, that's fair, and I think as we use more and more drugs that are, you know, being authorized for that age group, um, they become more accessible in our communities as well. And then so it makes it easier to actually use these medications then as well, because even if you have a patient that may be out in a pharmacy, that's, um, you know, they don't have, they, they usually have the older drugs in our regimens easily accessible. And so sometimes we resort to use those if we can't find other drugs. But I think 
um, everything in terms of like healthcare has changed and, uh, you know, we can get lots of things approved and sent to different pharmacies. And um, so I think as use increases, that also increases our chances of getting meds like dolutegravir out in community pharmacies and that type of thing. So um, I've definitely seen some of that in my clinical practice too. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, that's fantastic. So is there anything else that you feel that our audience should know about dolutegravir? Uh, before we kind of close off today's episode, which was like fantastic knowledge for myself. Um, and I think uh, viewers would appreciate, um, you know, or going to appreciate having some uh, somebody to not only like reach out to as a clinical expert, uh, but also uh, just have more information about Dolutegravir today. Uh, I think I think I just close by saying that, that uh, this is probably going to be, if not already, going to be the the most commonly used ARV uh, globally uh, like yeah. the vast majority like 90% plus uh, of adults around the world uh, who have HIV and are on treatment are going to be on this uh, for first or even second line or third line um, yeah. soon enough the majority of kids in the world will be on it so right. this if you're if you're studying for the exam this is a good one to, <laughs> to phone up on <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. Yeah. And then I always like to give everybody a disclaimer that this was an informational podcast and um, in by no means is a replacement for an infectious disease consult, but um, definitely very informative, um, you know, presentation today regarding dolutegravir and I think it'll be nice to see how these, you know, if more trials come up in pediatrics and, um, and just see, you know, even with Z-Parge to just see other people's experience and their clinical experience with the use of dolutegravir. So, um, and pediatric HIV, I think is, uh, is always evolving and there's like so many changes. And so, and like you said, you know, a few years back, even, we didn't have so many meds and and there weren't, there wasn't a lot of research. Um, and now we're seeing more of that. And I don't know, but personally, like in Saskatchewan, we've had an uptick in our vertical transmission as well. And so having access to some of these newer drugs is really helping um, our practice out here. Yeah. yeah I, I agree. Caring for the little, those little ones, especially uh, it can be really difficult, uh, especially when they hit the terrible twos and yes. say, say no to everything. <laughs> having having a, a drug that doesn't taste like kerosene actually tastes like yeah. strawberry cream and you only have to take once a day uh, can be a lifesaver. So it's a yeah. good thing. Oh, that's great. All right. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Brophy. We really appreciate you coming on the podcast and it would be nice to have you back for future episodes. Um, you know, even if it's regarding HIV or with your Clinton uh, health initiative work, um, it's fantastic what you're doing um, out there. Um, and it's fantastic what you do out at CHEO too. So thank you so much. We really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Thank you, Dr. Purewall. And thank you, Dr. Brophy for joining us. Have a topic suggestion? Email us at thecanadianbreakpoint at gmail.com and follow us on Twitter at CA Breakpoint. See you again soon at the Canadian Breakpoint.